that the Holy Spirit is the absolute best tutor ever and that he leads and he guides and he teaches us. We thank you that our hearts are open to hear the instruction and that even as the word is going forth today, that the Holy Spirit will minister to each of us and tell us how we need to apply it to our life. God, we thank you that we are people who expect change. We thank you that we are people who not just hear the word, but we do the word. We thank you that because we do the word, we see the manifestation of the results of the word in our life, God. We thank you that every week we are changed. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you being changed by the word that you're hearing here? Amen. I can't hear you. How many of you being changed by the word that you're hearing here? Listen, it's so important that you don't just go to church to check off the list. It's so important that you don't go to church to just check off the list. It's also important that you don't just go to church to get an emotional high. You can get an emotional high from a good movie. You can get an emotional high from some good music. The word is designed to transform us. Amen. Amen. Let's make our confession over our word. Grab your Bibles. However you listen to the word. Read the word. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. I am about to be taught the life-changing word of faith. My heart is open to receive. Therefore, I will be changed. So anytime I hear, receive, and believe the word of God, my life will reflect it. Amen. We want there to be a connection that when we hear the word, we don't want to just memorize facts. We don't want to just be able to quote that. We don't want to be able to quote what love is and not be able to do it. For example, 1 Corinthians says that love is patient and love is kind. We don't want to be able to quote that and then we always snapping on people. That's not the purpose of the word. The purpose of the word is to be like a mirror that transforms us. So this morning we're talking about faith and we told you we're going to talk about faith for a long, long time. And we're going to talk about faith because we believe that after a person accepts Jesus Christ as their personal savior, the most important thing they can learn how to do is walk by faith. Amen. Because Hebrews 11 and 6 says without faith, it is impossible to do what? To please God. So it means that faith must be important. Turn and turn tell your neighbor, say faith is important. Say, in fact, faith is the most important thing in the kingdom. Well, somebody said, well, what about love? What about love? We love by faith. We can't even love except you. That unconditional love in 1 Corinthians 14, you don't do that. Nat- I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, you don't do that naturally. You do that because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that you forgive people. That you don't hold grudges. That you quit cussing folks out. It is faith that does that. Amen. And so we even walk in love through our faith. Amen. And so we're talking about prosperity here. And we're talking about, and yes, we are talking about money prosperity. Pull up 3 John 2. I'm going to tell you why we're talking about it. I'm going to tell you some of my own struggles with it over the years. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to look at yourself. Because if you feel some kind of way when we talk about money in church, it's evidence that you have a stronghold of poverty. I said it. You can tweet it. Third John 2. I said it. You can tweet it. If, if, make, if talking about money in church makes you uncomfortable, you have a stronghold of poverty, and I'm going to show you that in the Word today. Third John 2 says, Beloved above all things, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. It is the will of God for you to prosper. Say, it is the will of God, will of God. for me to prosper. Now he says, I want you to prosper and be in health. 
So God wants us to prosper and God wants us to be healthy. Tell your, turn and tell your neighbor, say you should have money, you should have money. and you should, be healthy. you should be healthy. That is the will of God for your life. Amen. That is the will of God for your life. It says, but then it goes on to tell us where our prosperity will come. It says, even as your soul prospers. What it basically says is this, our health, our wealth, our relationships will never live above our thinking. You cannot live above your thinking. I'm going to have you do a lot of turning and tell your neighbors today because I want you to stay engaged. Tell your neighbor, say, you, you cannot, live cannot live above your thought life. So whatever you think about prosperity and whatever you think about health is going to control what you manifest. Amen. So if you grew up in a family where everybody had high blood pressure and you believe that you ought to have high blood pressure because you came from that, from that family, then it doesn't matter that Jesus says you should be free from all sickness and disease. You are going to link up with that belief that because you came from that family, you should have high blood pressure and you're going to do things that help you get high blood pressure and then go, oh, I don't know why I got high blood pressure. You will never live above your thinking. Whatever amount of money you have today, you have that amount of money or that lack of amount of money because you're thinking about money. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, this is hard because then we're like, well, I don't have money because I didn't grow up rich. It's a lot of people who didn't grow up rich, but they rich now. It's a lot of people who grew up rich and they poor now. What the money that you have is about your thinking. Now, the challenge for believers is that we got a lot of bad information about how God feels about money. People have heard things like um, money is the root of all evil. We're going to look and see that that's not what the scripture says. God doesn't care how much money you have as long as money don't have you. What does that mean? God does not care how much money, how many material possessions you have as long as those things don't become your God. As long as you don't care more about money than you do about obeying God and taking care of people. Amen. So God doesn't have an issue with that. You know that thing, some of you feeling that some kind of way that you feeling, that's evidence of your stronghold. I'm going to go ahead and take you there and show you there. The reality of it is, is that one of the biggest lies that the enemy has ever put in the body of Christ is that God doesn't want you wealthy. Because he knows that it takes wealth to fund the kingdom. Amen. You can't fund the kingdom when you can't fund your house. You cannot fund the kingdom if you cannot fund your house. You cannot feed the hungry when you're hungry. You cannot send someone else's kid to college when you can't go to college. So wealth is needed to advance the kingdom. Amen. Romans 12 and 2. We, these are our staple scriptures that we use here all the time. I could shout you. I could be like, I told Pastor Edwin, I said, if I see one more meme about how this going to be your year for financial breakthrough, I'm just going to start screaming. It's a lie from the pit of hell. If you don't do something different with your money, your money going to be the same broke it was in 2014, in 2013, in 2012. It doesn't get better just because you confess it. You have to change your thinking and you have to do the work. Now, that's the part of church a lot of people don't like we can't shout our way out of everything you can't shout out of everything you can't shout your way out of financial um um despair and you at the mall every time you get paid shouting because you got a sale do you know a sale only means something if you had money to spend to begin with 
if you didn't have money to begin with, the sale didn't help you. It hurt you because it set you up for a wrong thinking. You thought you could afford something that you can't. Romans 12, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it says that God wants you to have a good life. God never intended for you to have money struggles. Say, turn to your neighbor say, God never intended for you to have money struggles. God never intended for you to have money struggles. You know what money struggles do? Take your attention off God. You can't even pray for talking to God about how much money you don't have. You can't even enjoy your kids. Let, let, I said this last week. Let your kids go to bed and grow and you don't have no money. You like, you better not grow. You better not get taller in the, in the night. Your, your feet not bad. You, you got your kids in March wearing flip-flops to the end of school. And it comes from having lack. We, we say, hey, we want to be a blessing to the community. We want to give away 5,000 backpacks. You go, I don't know how I'm going to buy my own kids' school supplies. I can't help their kids. Prosperity is the will of God because you cannot advance the kingdom without it. So if it make you feel some kind of way, you got to deal with that. Because the Bible says there are things that we think. In fact, we don't go there, but you can write it down. In Isaiah 55, it says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. The reason that we struggle over money is because we have a lower level mentality that says there isn't enough. There is enough. There is enough for everybody. Hear me. And, 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 and see, the, the Bible says don't be conformed to this world. The world mentality says that in order for somebody to be rich, somebody has to be poor. And then we've allowed that belief to become our belief system. But God has enough for everybody. Say, God, God has, enough has enough for everybody. everybody. I'm working on your thinking because I'm trying to get you to see there is no shortage of money. Tell your neighbor, say, there is no shortage of money. No shortage of money. Now, just say this to yourself because I don't want the person to hit you. Say, you may be broke, but it's not because there's a shortage. If you broke, it's not because there's a shortage of money. It's a shortage in your mentality. And so if you don't change your thinking, do let, let me ask you something. Have any of you ever gotten a raise, but it didn't change how you live? Go ahead and tell the truth. Because it's not the money that dictates how you live. It's the mindset. And so you get raised at the rate, if I just made $20,000 more, you make $20,000 more, you don't live any better. Because it's not the money, it's the mindset. Amen. Now you have got to make a choice when you see that what you think about money is not what God thinks about money. You got to make a choice. Your whole lifestyle as a believer is about making a choice. God says this, you say this, who you go agree with. We taught you a couple of weeks ago, who's the smartest, you or God? Now, no, I want everybody to say it. Who's the smartest, you or God? So if you got to choose who to believe, who should you believe? Because you have failed you before, right? You have had that great plan that should work all the way out, right? And then when you get to the end, it didn't work, right? Yeah, okay, because sometimes you got to remind yourself. So it says, now you've got to make a choice. Let's look at Deuteronomy um, 30 and 19. 
Deuteronomy 30 and 19, it says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. So here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, I want you to be prosperous, but I won't make you be prosperous. I've given you the choice. You have to choose. Then he tells you, I love this. God is so clear because he want to make sure we clear. Basically, he says, if you don't know which one you should pick, pick life. You know how like you standing there, you ever seen, um, what's the name of that show? The Price is Right. And they're trying to decide which prize box to go for. And they're looking at the audience. God is the audience. He's saying, in case you don't know, this box or this box, pick the life box. Because when you pick the, pick the life box, you and your seed may live. Listen, how you relate to money is based on how you grew up interacting with money unless you've done work to, choose, to change that. However you respond to money is based on how you saw money dealt with growing up unless you have taken the time to transform your thinking. You can see the patterns in most people's lives. There are people you get really excited on payday. And on payday you go out and do something fun because you feel like you've worked all that time and you ought to at least be able to have you a nice dinner on payday. But then the two days before payday, nobody in your house better not ask for nothing. They better not ask for nothing. Your kids better not say they need some pencils. Pencils like a dollar. Like, what you do with them pencils I bought you in August? Mama, it's March. What you mean? I use the pencils, Mama, because I go to school. Because nine times out of ten, that's how you saw your family live. If you saw your mama go in debt for Christmas, and spend the whole year paying off Christmas, that's how you live, unless you've got an intention to live another way. Because you cannot live above your mind. And sometimes the hardest thing for us is to acknowledge that while our parents may have been great at something, they weren't necessarily great at money, and the lessons they taught us are not good lessons, they don't align with God. Ooh, that's hard. Don't talk about my mama, Pastor Sean. No, I ain't talking about your mama. But if it's true, then you got to realize that that's how you deal with money. But here can be the flip of it. If you grew up in a family where you never had, it can make you a hoarder. So then when it's time to give, you like, I ain't giving nothing. I ain't giving nothing. That ain't what I do. Because I'm going to make sure because I know what it's like. I was coaching a client yesterday and she was telling me that her mother, they always got their lights cut off. She says, so as a result, the day the light bill comes out, she pays it. She says she don't care. She don't care if she got 13 more days, 31 more days. When the light bill show up for her, she pays it. That is a mindset. How has your money past impacted your money today? And is your money past agreeing with God? Amen. Let's go to, um, what's my next scripture back there? What y'all got? I don't want to go there first. I want to go to 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. I'm going to take this a little slow. Over the next several weeks, Pastor Evan and I, we're going to come and we're going to be teaching you about these seven secrets to wealth, to kingdom wealth. 
So look at this. This is what the Bible says. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I want you to leave that there for a second. I want you to see this. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So in essence, what it says to you is that your lack is not really a material issue. Your lack is really a spiritual issue that is showing up in a mental issue that is manifesting materially. It says, for though you walk in the flesh, your problem ain't really with the flesh. That's why you can't look at how somebody else spending their money and say that that's impacting you. Right. Right. Their, their increase don't have nothing to do with your shortage. Tell your neighbor, say, there is, there is. more than enough. That's the only mindset we're dealing with here today. We're going to go from thinking that there is limited, that there is not enough. The kingdom of God is not like a pie. If we took a pie and we begin to slice it, at some point we'd run out of pieces unless the supernatural power of God began to work with us, right? But Jesus shows us what a, poverty, what a prosperity mentality can do even with material things when he takes the fish and loaves and he feeds everybody until there's enough. Tell your neighbor, say, there is more than enough. Wouldn't it make your life easier if you really believed there was more than enough? Wouldn't it change how you lived if you really believe more than more than enough? It says, for the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. So hear me. I want you to hear me. There is nothing wrong with having a budgeting and planning and all of that stuff, but it will not get rid of the spirit of poverty. Because you can have a spirit of poverty and have millions of dollars in the bank. You can have lots of money and still be afraid that something's going to happen and it's going to go away. So a, a, a poverty mentality isn't just about money. It's about how you feel about money and whether there is enough or not enough. Amen. It says, but the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How do we tear down a stronghold? Okay, wait, does everybody know what a stronghold is? Yes, everybody know what a stronghold is? If you don't, tell me you don't. Okay, a stronghold is like, have you ever seen Shrek? You seen Shrek? And how the, the dragon kept Fiona locked away in the dungeon? And how they had the moat and the bridge that they could pull up to keep the castle guarded? A stronghold is a series of thinking that has built a prison to keep something in and something out. So the enemy uses the mentality of lack to make you opposed to the concept that there is abundance. And he says the only way to tear that down is to use something higher, which is the word of God. So you have to go to the word of God to find out that there is more than enough. And then you put that on the stronghold until the stronghold crumbles. You've seen it in like the old ancient Greece kind of movies or some kind of war movie or even a new police movie where they take the, what's it called? 
the round thing, and they just keep the batter ram, and they just keep hitting the door. They keep hitting until they break it. If you have grown up with a mentality of lack and insufficiency, you are going to have to take the word and keep hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. And when the door opens, you can't put it down. You got to keep on stomping until that thing is all the way gone. Or what will happen is that you will get another job in corporate America and think that you have escaped something that you have not escaped. Uh-huh. Money has nothing to do with your salvation. And one of the reasons that a lot of young people don't want to be saved is this mentality that if you are going to live for the Lord, you can't have money. It is the dumbest thing ever. Who created money? Why do we even have a monetary system? Because God released the wisdom. Now, how dumb would it be for me to want your kids to eat and my kids to starve? How in the world would God be really a good God if he wants the wicked people to prosper while you suffer? You got to deal with the stronghold thinking. You got to ask yourself, who gets the advantage if I believe I should be broke? If I believe that I should struggle, who gets the advantage? Because I cannot advance the kingdom. I keep saying this, listen, when people in the grocery store and they can't buy their food, they don't want your prayer. They want you to swipe your debit card and let them take that food home. That's what they want. How do I know? How do I know? If you, let's say, you go to Tulsa today and you forget your wallet and you don't have any money and you hungry and you standing in a restaurant looking pitiful, do you want somebody just to pray for you? What do you want them to do? You want them to buy that food. But here's the other thing that the poverty mentality will do, which is why people are never designed to be on welfare and systems like that. Because then when people have a shortage mentality, what people say is this, we'll give you food stamps, but y'all shouldn't get to have cookies. Because now there's not enough, so we get to dictate what you have. And if you, add, if you buy your kids cookies, you ain't really a good mama. You taking advantage of the system. Why do we even have to have a system like that? Because believers don't have no money. And so he gets us trapped into this mentality to think that if we have just enough, we're doing fine. Hear me. If we have just enough, we are selfish. Tell your neighbor, say, if your goal is just enough for your four and no more, you're selfish. You got to be in position to help somebody else. And if you feel in some kind of way that is your spirit of poverty that is talking to you, that is trying to get you to fade to black on me because poverty wants to keep you broke. That's that stronghold. Well, my mama was a good person. She didn't have no money. How much more could she have done if she'd had more money? She was already feeding everybody in the neighborhood. What if she'd had some increase? Mm-hmm. Let's go to 1 Timothy 6 and 10. Listen, let me tell you something. Because I used to hate to talk about prosperity because I didn't want people to say that I was trying to get out on you and get your money. Let me help you. 
I don't want your money. I've been living for 43 years before I knew most of you. If you don't give me a dime, I'm going to still be all right because I know how to create wealth. So the thing in you that now wants to feel that we talking about money because we want your money. No, we talking about money so you'll have money. It says, let, 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 let's read the first, let's read to the colon together. Ready? Read. What, what's the problem? Is it money? What's the problem? The love of money. So it's some poor people who got an issue with the love of money. That's why they steal people Jordans, right? So it's not having money that makes you evil. It's your love relationship toward money. As believers, let's go ahead and we're going to set everybody free. Say, we, we don't love money. Don't love money. We, we love, God. love God. And because, and because we, love people, we love people, we use money, we use money. as a tool. As that's the difference in the mentality. We use money as a tool to advance the kingdom. All right. Now, look at this, because I really want to challenge your thinking, because I know you've heard, and we have all these things about whether people should have money and all of that different stuff. So I want to challenge you on a couple of things. How many of you believe that everybody was born with a purpose? That God has called you to do something in life? So if God has called you to do something in life, that would be your ministry. Yes? God called you to be a teacher, then your ministry is what? And if God called you to be a doctor, your ministry is doctor of people. <laughs> and if God called you to be an actor, your ministry is right. Right. Why do you think it is that it's only the people whose ministry supposedly is to preach the gospel to be poor? Where would that come from? It's a what? It's a twisted mindset. It's a stronghold because everybody ought to be living on purpose. And so everybody, people who think Jesus is important, read their Bible. Listen, let me ask y'all, how many of y'all got a treasure? How many of y'all got a treasurer? A treasurer. A treasurer. How many of you have a treasurer? Bank teller don't count. I, I, you tell me why you don't have a treasurer. Because you don't have no money. <laughs> she said she don't have enough money to treasure. <laughs> you have to be careful of the mentalities that are put in front of you that will keep you from having what God wants you to have. You don't need a treasurer if you broke. Ain't nobody treasuring your money. Ain't nobody calling you, giving you no account. Well, some of y'all, some of y'all, some of y'all didn't say nothing, so y'all got a little money. Don't worry, we're not gonna ask you for none, so you don't have to say. I mean, that, that we didn't really ask to get a count of who had money. That wasn't the goal. The point I'm trying to make to you is that when you read scripture, you have to make sure that you're reading scripture in truth, not in your old twisted perception. Jesus had a treasurer. In fact, here's how you know how much money they had. You know they had money because Judah stole from the treasury and they were still able to carry on the business. Let me ask you something. How much money can they steal from out your bank account for you know? How much money they going to take? Baby, let me tell you something. They took $143 out of my account the other day. They weren't supposed to take. I was on the phone like it was $10 million. I'm like, give me my money back. Right. 
What I'm saying to you is that the fact that Judas was able to steal the money and they were still able to do ministry indicates that there was more than enough. Because if you only got 50 and you need 49 of it, if somebody take five, you know it, don't you? Amen. Okay. Let's go to Deuteronomy 8 and 18. Because I'm trying to get you to think, to think about your thinking. Think about your thinking. Think about your thinking. Deuteronomy 8 and 18. He says, but you shall remember the Lord. Why should you remember the Lord? Let me ask you something. If wealth is wicked, then why would God give his people power to get it? Wouldn't that make him twisted? So wealth can't be wicked. It's what you think about wealth that makes it wicked. Do you know if you were drunk, you drunk, you were drunk whether you got a lot of money? When I, when I was a, 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 a young girl, um, the drunks in the neighborhood used to pay me $5 when I was 16 because, you know, $5 is a lot of money. When I was 16, you fill up, that's when you fill up your tank for, you, for $2.50. They would pay me $5 to take them to the liquor store to get Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> Mad Dog 2020. Mad Dog 2020, for those of you who don't drink, it is the kind of, no, no. <laughs> Oh, y'all drink, huh? Y'all drink. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love this church. <laughs> I love y'all. <laughs> Mad Dog 2020 is the kind of liquor that will burn the hair off your neighbor's chest while you drink it. <laughs> your neighbor <laughs> will lose their hair. But you understand that they funded their habit at the level they were at. So if they had become millionaires, they would have drank just more expensive stuff because money only magnifies who you are. So you ain't got to say, because people say stuff like this, well, you know, the Lord keep me broke to keep him close to him. Listen, if you got to stay broke to stay close to the Lord, you got some other issues. Here's the fallacy of the thinking. It is like saying that the only way to keep a spouse from cheating on the other person is that you got to stay with them all the time. It's like you got to stay with them because if you let them go to the store, they might hook up with somebody. If you let them go to work, they might hook up with somebody. Like that's the mentality to think that God has to keep you without to keep you close to him. When you have committed your heart to God, it doesn't matter whether you have or whether you don't have. You go stick with God. And then people say stuff like this. People say, well, it's not really about the money. The only people who say that is the people who don't have money. Let me tell you something. If you go be sad, would you rather be sad in a box or at the risk altar? At the risk altar. If somebody go break up with you and break your heart, would you rather have to come stay here or be to go to Jamaica and recover? <laughs> It says, so God has given you the power to get wealth. And here's what he's going to say, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear until thy fathers as it is this day. Go back to Genesis 12 so I can show you what the covenant is. Say, I have a covenant with God that includes financial abundance. It ain't all about, Pastor Sean, it ain't all about the money. I know that's why we talked to you about your marriage. Mm -hmm. 
That's why we taught you about raise your kids and not having them take you on more because you're a crazy parent. That's why we talked to you about working with excellence at work. That's why we talked to you about not eating bad. It's not all about money, but it is about money because the research tells us that most couples get divorced over money. Let's go to Genesis 12. I'm throwing them off a little bit, so y'all got to work with them. Genesis 12, let's look at this. Are you guys learning anything? I don't want you just memorizing scriptures. I want you paying attention to what's coming up out of you. When I'm doing this, it says Genesis 12, it says, now the Lord has said unto Abraham, get thee from out of thy country and from out of thy kindred and from out of thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. You don't always have to physically leave people. But what God is saying to you is that if you're going to have the things that he's telling you to have, you're going to have to leave behind the mindset that your parents gave you. You're going to have to leave behind the money mentality that you have. It says now, okay, go ahead. It says, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless you. Anytime you see that word bless, it means empowered to prosper. It says, so God says, he says to Abraham, he says, come with me, and I am going to empower you to prosper. Really, the word bless means empowered to prosper. The word curse means empowered to fail. So he says, I'm going to make you a blessing. He says, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. So God says, here's the covenant he makes with Abraham. He says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, come and do it my way. And if you do it my way, long after you're gone, those who are come to me through you, we already know Abraham is a father of faith. We talked about it in Romans 4, that there is no Jesus without Abraham, that we're grafted in, that we're grafted into the Jewish family. That Jesus was not a Christian, that Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. So we're grafted in. And it says, so everybody who comes from Abraham is a part of this promise that God made to Abraham. If you are saved, you should not be broke. Now, here's the challenge. Here's what people really fail to understand. You can know the person of God and not know the principles of God. Now, a lot of people get rich because they know the principles of God, even though they don't know the person of God. One of the most fascinating things to me is that if you research rich people, really wealthy people go tell you that they give away at least 10% of their income. But the church will fight you over 10%. They understand the principle, even though they don't know the person. How you go know the person and reject the principles? How you know God is a healer? How you know God is a savior? And then fight him over money when you broke. Get mad. Just study the scriptures and come back next week and we'll work through it. So you thought I was going to tell you get mad and leave. I'm not. I'm going to tell you get mad and stay so you can break the spirit of poverty over your life. Amen. So God says that he will give us the power to get wealth. Why? Because there's a covenant that he wants to establish. I'm going to show you the five parts of that covenant, and then I'm going to give you the seven steps. We're not going through the seven steps today. I'm just going to list them for you so you can work on them, so you can study. Because, you know, you start telling people about stuff, they'll go try to find out where you're wrong. I want you to go find out where I'm wrong. Because what you need to understand is that there are more scriptures that have been in the Bible about money than there are about hell. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus wasn't real concerned with hell because he knew if you accepted him, you didn't have to go. But he knew you was going to need money to live. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8. 
Oh, that Pastor Sean, she's preaching about money. I know. Most of the issues I hear during the week is about money. Almost every time somebody talks to me during the week, it's about they don't have money. Here's what I would do if I had money. Here's what I would do. The Lord told me to go on a mission trip. I don't have no money. The Lord told me to do so-and-so. I don't have no money. The Lord told me to start a business. I don't have no money. The Lord told me to go back to school. I don't have no money. Money is the issue. You got to deal with money. Do you realize, let me, st- let me tell you this. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God fed them with manna. They didn't have to do anything for the food. They just went and gathered it. The moment they entered into the promised land, manna stopped. They had to go and work the land to get the goodness that was in it. The challenge for a lot of believers is that they read the prosperity scriptures and you think you're still in the day of manna. So you think that you're going to confess something. That's the problem with the whole secret people. Uh, Because I think abundance, it comes to me lies. No, it don't. That's not the season that we're in. The season that we're in is that God will cause you to be able to pull the resources out of the earth to change your situation. We don't live in the manna days anymore. We don't live in the days anymore. Will God bless you? Will God just let miracle money come to you? Yes, but you're not designed to live by miracle money. You're not designed every month, Lord, let me see what you're going to do about this wrench. You know I need a miracle, Lord. Lord, if you don't make a way, I don't know how I'm going to make it. You're not called to that life. You are called to be the answer to the people who's saying that. It says that God is able to make all grace, say all grace, abound toward who? You should say me. Abound toward who? So that what? So that I... Always having what? All All sufficiency in what? And that's the way we're supposed to live. More than enough. Amen. Let's look at these reasons for wealth. Amen. I'm going to have to give you some descriptions. You're going to have to do some of your own work this week. I don't have time to go through all of them. Number one reason for wealth is kingdom expansion. We want to expand the kingdom. I want to show you this one scripture, Zechariah 1 and 17. Oh, we'll do both of them. Zechariah 1 and 17. It says, cry yet saying, thus said the Lord of hosts, my cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad. How, how does, and the Lord shall comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. How do cities increase? How do cities increase? Read it. Not just Pastor Edwin. He's not the only one who can read, right? How do cities increase? Anybody from a small town? Anybody watch their small town die? Why do small towns die? No prosperity. No prosperity. No. Why is Northwest Arkansas growing? Prosperity. God wants you to be able to be the solution to cause prosperity to spread. Do you know that whoever carries the prosperity gets to control the message? You better hear what I'm saying up in here. Do you know people get mad and they say things like this. They won't let people talk about Jesus on primetime TV. Do you know why? Tell me why. Tell me why you can't talk about Jesus. Because the advertisers had the money. But if you own the company, could we talk about Jesus on Main Time TV? I'm trying to help you understand that the things you're complaining about exist because we don't have no money. Whoever writes the check controls the flow. You better hear me. Whoever writes the check controls the flow. 
I'm a witness of that in my own family. My kids say, I want to go eat here. Baby, this is my money. You know where we go eat? Because I where I want to go. You know why? I control the flow. Whoever controls. Can you see? The Bible says that the devil is the prince of the air. So if he can keep all of God's people without money, then there he can control everything on the radio. You have been listening to the radio sometime, and you're like, God, this mess is ratchet. You know why it's ratchet? Because of who control the flow. You know why TV is ratchet? Because of who control the flow. They say this all the time. They say, if you want the housewives shows to go away, stop watching them. But here's the problem with most of you, is that you know it's wrong and it's ratchet, but you like ratchet. Listen, I ain't messing with your TV shows. Y'all ain't got to get all funny with me. You watch what you want to watch. I'm just trying to get you to understand how this is. Don't get all mad at me. I ain't tell you. Pastor Edwin now said, don't mess with my empire. <laughs> but let me prove to you whoever controls the flow controls the show. Sorority show is gone. You know why the sorority show is gone? Because the people with the money got behind it. And they said, if you should watch that show, we will pull our support. Black folks didn't even know they had that kind of influence in the show anyway. They didn't even finish playing the season at the regular time. They played them all like at 2 a.m. in the morning on a Friday night when they knew all y'all was at the club because they didn't even want you to watch them. I'm trying to get you to understand that prosperity is spread, that cities expand through prosperity. And if you don't have money, you can't expand and you don't get to control what's taught when you don't have the money. That's why you work at jobs that tell you you can't say certain stuff because of who control the flow. Amen. And what you wear. And they tell you when you can take off. And what time you got to be at work because whoever could. Because people, see, you need to be honest. People say, ain't nobody the boss of me. Mm Mm-hmm. Somebody is the boss of you. They tell you when to come. They tell you when to go. They tell you if you can take vacation at that time. In fact, they say to some of you, you don't even think about taking no vacation on that day. If you had appendicitis, you'd be trying to be at work because they done told you nobody can be off on those days. Whoever writes the check controls the flow. God is looking for believers that will allow flow to come to them so we can change what's flowing. Amen. Let's look at Luke 8, 1, 3. Then we're going to speed up just a little bit. Can y'all take some more of this? Listen, everybody broke ought to be to take some more. I'm going to redefine broke. If you don't have enough to do everything God has put in your heart, you broke. Redefine it. Because if you don't, then you'll be like, ooh, I'm cool. Ooh, I'm cool. No, no, no. If you can't do everything God told you to do, this teaching is for you. Amen. It says, and it came to pass afterwards that he went through every city and village. We just talked about how prosperity is spread through the cities. I mean, how the cities are spread through prosperity. It says he went to every village and every city, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom and God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of the whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod, Stewart, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of what? their substance. So Jesus even need money to do his ministry. Jesus went from city to city because these people had what? Money to support him. Like right now, if we need to go to Africa. Now, I don't just mean two of us. I mean, we all need to go to Africa. We all need to go to Africa. We all need to go. 
by the end of next week. It's going to be sad. Everybody ain't going to get to go. But let's take it further. Could we all get to California by the end of next week? I'm trying to get you to understand that the reason Jesus, any ministry or any message can only go forward to the degree that there's prosperity. Oh, we want to do amazing things for children's church. Oh, we want to send our kids to camp. You know what it takes? Substance. Oh, we want to make sure that our teens get to know the Holy Spirit and go to the best conferences in the nation. You know what it takes? Substance. It takes, as Kenosha say, them little coins. We don't need just little coins. We need bitcoins. You need bitcoins because God is never intended. Let me take this further because I want to take you further. Your whole purpose in ministry in life isn't just to expand the kingdom, meaning that all your money should go to the church. God never intended for all your money to go to the church. Number two, reason for your wealth. Your wealth is to help others. I'm just, we're just going to do um, one scripture and I'll give you the other one. One scripture, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 18. Are you learning anything? Say abundance is the will of God for my life. It says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. So the Lord says, I don't have a problem with you being rich, but when you get rich, don't get high-minded and don't trust in your riches. It says, but trust in who? The living God, which gives us all things richly to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute and willing to communicate. So it says that the wealth is to expand the kingdom and to help others. And that when we get wealth, we should never just be thinking. And that's the problem that most people don't realize, that most of your mindset is to get money for you. It's to get money for you. Really, most people's mindset is to get money for this month for them. I'm working to get this money to pay these bills this month. He says, no. He says, God has given us all things richly to enjoy that we can do good, that we can be rich in good works, ready to distribute and willing to communicate what? Communicate what? The message of God. Because whoever controls the checks controls what? The flow. Number three. Oh, the second scripture that you can look up when you get home is Deuteronomy 15, 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 15, 4 through 9. Number three, third reason for your wealth. It is your children's inheritance. Go to Proverbs 13, 22. It is your children's inheritance. Your wealth is your children's inheritance. It says, a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I talked to you guys about that last week. 13 and 22. A wise man leaves Proverbs, Deuteronomy, 15, 4 through 9. See, I like how we go to church. We go to church like school. Ain't no point in going on when you don't have it. I mean, ain't nobody trying to shout and fall out. We trying to get you changed. We trying to get some money, then you have something to shout about. Amen. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. We talked to you before that just are the people who walk by faith. So it says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It says, so you, the way we measure, it, according to the Bible, whether we a good man or a good woman, is what we lead to our grandchildren. Listen, I realized this as I was studying this week. It's not just about the money. 
An inheritance is not just money. Here's a great example. Paris Hilton inherited a lot of money or she has access to a lot of money. What was missing for her in her early years was the mindset that created the money to begin with. Do you notice you don't ever hear about the Marriott's children in the news? Because they have a very different way of transferring mindset. Our goal is not just to get rich so we raise kids as lazy. Our goal is to give our kids an advantage so they can leave two generations better. So there is an expansion. It's the reason Donald Trump says stuff like this. His kids will tell you that he used to say to his kids every morning, be clear, this ain't your helicopter. This my helicopter that you get to ride in and I can teach you to get your own. Our goal is not to rescue our kids from having to learn how to work hard. Our goal is to position them so that money doesn't keep them from fulfilling their purpose. 70 to 80 percent of people hate their jobs because they took a job for money, not for purpose. Because they didn't have a choice but to take a job for money because they didn't get an inheritance. I'm going to tell you the truth. I say this all the time, people get mad, I don't care. The reality, one of the reasons that we act such a fool when people die is because we don't have no money to bury. If you study the research and you find out why historically black people take seven days to bury, it's because it took that long to get the money to bury. Kenosha, I need you not to make this a full comedy session. Oh, Jesus. Hear me. I want you to hear me. I am not saying that all white people are wealthy and all black people are poor. I am saying that there is a difference in the mentality that even determines how we're buried. Because when I came up here and I saw how fast white people got buried, I said, Lord Jesus, I mean, you mess around and die noon a day tomorrow. It is over. You ain't got no chance for no resurrection or nothing. It's over. But, but, but think about it. Think about it. Most of you, most of you, most of you who are African-American, you can relate to this. Somebody dies, we have to put the funeral on Saturday because people can't take off work. Then we got to get enough money to get Joe home from Detroit because Detroit been in Detroit for all them years and he still ain't got enough money to get home. Can we push the funeral back one more week so that so-and-so can just use their vacation time because they can't be off long enough? That is poverty. That's poverty. And here's the other part of the poverty mentality. You don't have nothing, no money, but now you're going to spend $20,000 on a funeral, on a casket, when mama ain't had $20,000 her whole life at one time. That is poverty. You know what else is poverty? Wearing red bottoms when you ain't got that much money. Wearing hair in a Michael Kors and you ain't got that much money. I'm going to talk about your poverty. You got $300 worth of weave in your head and ain't got 13 cents in your purse. It's poverty. And let me tell you something. And ain't nobody getting mad except people with a poverty mentality. And let's be clear, I ain't scared of you because I wouldn't always say. <laughs> Whatever, Kenosha. I'm going to put Kenosha out. We need some security to throw Kenosha out the church today. 
A wise man leaves an inheritance. Go to 1 Timothy 13, 5 and 8. Some of you go find your daddy. See, from 1 Timothy 5 and 8. I found my daddy. People get mad. I don't care. It's just the truth. 1 Timothy 5 and 8. If what it say? But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he is denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You a deacon don't take care of your kids. Number four, you need to leave an inheritance for your kids. How much different would your life have been if you didn't have to try to figure out in college how you was going to get a car and go to school? How much different would your life have been if you hadn't had to work in school? Listen, let me tell you, here's what, thank you, here's what everybody can do to create some prosperity right now. Get a life insurance policy. At least have a life insurance policy. At least don't make us cry to bury you. Don't make us have to take up a collection to bury you. We shouldn't need a GoFundMe account to bury you. Get an, get an inheritance. Listen, I love Pastor Ellen. I love him. But one of the reasons I love him, baby, if he die, I'm going to live so good. <laughs> baby. I got me a whole little plan. Because my kids going to be distraught because they love their daddy. Baby, I'm going to get him his little ashes cremated. I'm going to take him on out there to the Bahamas or Jamaica somewhere so we can have a little beach ceremony. If you ain't got no money, you ain't going to be to come. See? We're going <laughs> to flash his little ashes, and then I'm going to have the little people come and massage my kids and give them some therapy and stuff like that. Then we're going to come back to regular life. You can't do that if you don't have money. I want to thank you for that in here. I want to thank you for that. You all not have to stress when people in your family die. And some of you, you are the first generation to go to college and have real jobs. And some of your reality is what are you going to do for your parents when they can't take care of themselves? How are they going to live when your parents can't? How, you how are you going to take care of your parents and your kids? Can you afford a nursing home and tuition? That's real talk right there. That's real talk right there. Can you afford both of those? That's why you hollering at your mama when she eat bad. You like, look here, mama, stop that. All right, number four. Your wealth is for the abundant supply of all your needs. Ecclesiastes 10 and 19. Your wealth. We're going to come back and spend some more time with this. I just kind of want to get you through it because I want to dig up the stuff. I want to make you laugh a little bit, but I want to make you think. We're not called to be poor people. And, and let me tell you, especially those of you who work hard all day, you ain't called to work 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 hours, and then you can't afford it. And if you miss one check, you in the hole. You know, we're not called to live that way. God has a strategy for your success. It says, Ecclesiastes 10 19, people didn't even know this was in the Bible. It says, a feast is made for laughter and wine maketh merry. That's why some of y'all drink so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it says, but money does what? All things. All things. Money answers all things. Well, Pastor Sean, money doesn't buy love. It doesn't buy love, but it lets you take care of the people you love. All we need is love. I hate songs like that, but they'll tell you, when somebody sing a song like that, talking about all we need is love, I'll be like, Dude, don't you believe that? That ain't all we need. We don't need no, all no love. We can't pay no light bill with love. We can't go on vacation with no love. I No, that, that don't make sense. Money answers all things. 
God is your source, but he wants to give you a supply. God doesn't have to be your support, your supply because he's feeding you out in $10 increments, $100 increments. That's, that's not the way this thing works. Money answers all things. Money does answer all things. Let me tell you something. I have a law degree. Do you know who is more likely to go to jail? person with the public defender? The person with the public defender. Not even because they're bad lawyers, because they overloaded. But let me tell you something. If you get a lawyer, I worked for a lawyer back in 1995 that the retainer was $25,000. People work for you differently when you get them $25,000. And you talk to them differently too. The biggest disparity in the criminal justice system is who has the money to pay for a lawyer and who does. I'll give y'all another lesson on what the law is really for later. That's another day. Money answers all things. Here's what money answers. Money determines whether your kids can take ballet lessons or not. God, you tell your baby is a dancer, she's been dancing since she was born. You can't give her ballet lessons because you can't afford it. <laughs> Everyone said your baby's supposed to be a ballerina and she throwing rocks because you only tell her to do free stuff. <laughs> he telling his own testimony. <laughs> he the best rock thrower I know though. <laughs> But let me say this. Let me say this. Can y'all come back? Can y'all come back? I'm not going to. Next week time I teach about money, I don't want y'all to sit by each other. Um, but let me say this. A lot of you, you make the sacrifices for your kids, but then you have nothing left for yourself. That ain't the will of God either. That's a lot of how a lot of us saw our parents grow up. They made the sacrifices, but the sacrifice, it, it, it's not a shortage. Because here's what, let me give you something. The next time you have a situation in your life and, you look, and it looks like you have to ask, you have to pick either or. I want you to ask God, how can I do it all? The very next time it looks like either or, we can either do this or do this. I want you to ask God, how can we do it all? God has more than enough. God has more than enough. And some of you, you're really good parents, but you're struggling because you're carrying the weight of your family by yourself. You don't ask God how. You just divide and subtract based on what you see. But God will help you. Tell your name and say, God will help you. Amen. We're going to look at one more scripture here. Psalm 35 and 27 under number four. Your wealth is for the abundant supply of all your needs. And we got two more. We ain't going to get to the seven steps tonight. Y'all just go, you know, Psalm 35 and 27. Pastor, why are you giving us so many scriptures? I want you to see it's in the word. Uh, 35 and 27. Okay. <laughs> if you let Edwin Strickland kid do Sam and stuff, they're going to say something crazy back to you when you try to tell them. Psalm 35, 27. Y'all have y'all Bibles or something, don't y'all? What does it say? Oh, y'all don't have it out. <laughs> y'all waiting on the screen. There it is. Let's go. It says, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. That dispels everything that ever says that God wants you broke. 
It says God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. In the same way you take pleasure when your kids look nice. In the same way you take pleasure when you're able to give them something that they desire. You know, if you're a parent, I didn't even realize this until I was a parent. If you're a parent, one of the reasons you don't need anything for Christmas is because of how excited you are when you see everybody get what they want. God takes that kind of pleasure when you prosper. Number five, your wealth is your defense. I talked a little bit about that. I'm not going to go into that much. Basically, your wealth, your wealth determines everything. Your wealth determines what kind of doctor's care you get. Your wealth determines whether they even see you or not. Your wealth determines whether you have a, when you have a life terminal illness, whether they try to get you the new treatment or they tell you to go home and wrap up your family matters. Now, wealth can't heal, but wealth can get you access to people who got information. Ecclesiastics 7 and 12. Ecclesiastes 7 and 12. It says, for wisdom is a what? And money is a what? Well, it says money is a defense. (laughs) Is that for wisdom? This got to be the best church service we have ever had. (laughs) It says, for wisdom is a defense. And money is a what? But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom give life to them that have it. So the wisdom of God becomes a defense that allows you to accumulate money to serve as a defense. So hear what I'm saying. The wisdom of God, when you say to God, what's my purpose? How am I supposed to create wealth? When you begin to pray over that and you begin to hear that, it be- he begins to download wisdom that's specifically for you. That wisdom allows you to be able to create income, to be able to make money a defense in your life. Amen. Let's, let's go to the next one. Wealth is for debt-free living. Number six, wealth is for debt-free living. Tell your neighbor, say, we are not called to be in debt. Well, how will we get a house? The fact that we even think that a mortgage is the only way to get a house is an indication of how small our thinking is. You know people buy houses cash. I'm not talking about $35,000 houses that you can't live in. I'm talking about people buy houses for cash. They go pick a house, they write a check. There is no shortage. People buy cars that cost more than some first starter homes. There is no shortage of money. Amen. Last scripture, Proverbs 22 and 7. Proverbs 22 and 7. Have you learned something? Listen, I know we've gone over a little bit. Those are your giving scriptures today, like right there. You don't need us to come and teach about giving. Here's why it says, here's why we don't want to be in debt. Y'all know this is the truth. You see it every day in America. The rich rule over the poor. That's why the righteous ought to want to be rich, because we can be generous over the poor. And the borrower is servant to the lender. Your bills tell you what to do every month. Do, do your bills tell you what to do? Go ahead and tell the truth. Because we be like God tell us what to do. Well, only when God ain't saying what the, the bills is saying. <laughs> like God tell us what to do when the bills, when God say pay the bills. But for real, if God said to you right now, give $500, would your bills tell you no? Would your bills tell you no? Because whoever you are indebted to is the boss of you. 
We're not called to live subject. The Bible says we should be the head and not the tail. We should be above and not beneath. And the Bible even says that believers should be the lenders if there's going to be a lender. Why? Because if you go back and you look in biblical days, every seven years they set people free from their debt. Do you realize that the bankruptcy code was originally set up on that, on that principle that every seven years you would get set free from your debt? But they have gone back and redone the bankruptcy code that even now after seven years it still follows you. How can you start over if the debt never leaves? We're not called to live on a system of credit, wondering when we go get a car, if they, what they going to say in that little room. That's not what we call to. They always invite you to that little booth. They tell you to come on down and make you spend the whole day there. That's not how we call to live. We want to be the blessing. So I just, I'm going to give you the seven points next time we talk. Oh, we, um, but listen, I encourage you to study these scriptures. Allow the work. All you got to do is ask the Lord, how much money do you want me to have? What would you like my financial life to look like? Those are the kind of questions you ought to be asking the Lord anyway. That's the kind of stuff you ought to be praying about your kids. Lord, who are my kids supposed to be? What activities should I be putting them in? Lord, what do you want to do in my marriage this year? And Lord, what do you want to do in my finances? Lord, what do you want me to leave my children? Here's my thing. Pastor Edwin and I have purposed this in our marriage. We purposed that we would set the foundation that our, fam that our kids would not know divorce and broken relationships. We reset the reality for that in our family. Our kids don't even, like our kids say stuff to us like that. They be like, why everybody parents get divorced? We'd have been one of those statistics had we not learned to put the word on our life. Now our goal is to put the word on our finances. Our word, our desire, our vision is to create a world that by the time we have grandkids, that they do not know the financial struggles that we knew. Our desire is that by the time we have grandkids, they go to school wherever they want to go. They, they don't need financial aid, and if they get scholarships, they're good. But whether they do or they don't, they can still go. How many of you had to pick your school choice based on what you could afford? How many of you are still struggling with student loans? Because what they didn't tell you is that the rate they was going to want to be paid back, but even if you got a good salary, it was going to eat into it. That's not what we're called to. Begin to ask God, what do you want to do in my finances? There is no shortage. Even those of you who work jobs, I'm not, you know, some people are against people working jobs. I'm not. I do believe that believers ought to have a stream of income that's not just your job. Because we don't live in the economy of our grandparents. Our grandparents' economy said if you went and got a job at Ford and you did what you were supposed to do, Ford would do right by you and you would do right by Ford. And when you worked for them for 30 years, that they would take care of you for the rest of your life. That's not the reality we live in anymore. You can't get your bonuses and spend every dime of it. You need to be using your bonuses, those of you who work in companies like that, to set up your future. What are you going to do? Because here's the thing. If you make $100,000 and you spend $105,000, you in worse shape than the person who make $25,000 and don't spend but $20,000. And the pressure is greater when they call you in that little room and tell you to leave. That's not what we're called to. Pastor Sean, I'm in a bad situation right now. You don't have to stay there. There's a way out. 
The way out is not just through your budgeting. It's through getting a plan from God about your finances. Budgets are good, but I have watched God do some stuff with numbers that don't make sense to me. And that's what he'll do. We want you to be blessed. We want the financial pressure of life to be broken off of you. When we come and say what we want to do to the com- for the community, we don't want you stressing about how you can contribute to that and still take care of your family and do the thing. That's not what we're called to. We want to see you live free. God has a plan for your freedom. We believe in someone. We believe that's a part of the plan. We believe in supernatural increase. We believe in strategies and we believe in supernatural increase. So when you give, even in your giving, you need to begin to ask the Lord, what do you want me to give? And whatever God asks you to give, if God asks you to give $20 a week, be faithful in it. Even if that means you can't go to Wendy's, be faithful in it. Because if you're faithful over little, he'll increase you. Whatever God tells you to give, give it and ask for instruction for the rest. Amen? You want to come? Oh, Pastor, we're wrapping up. It's offering time. Amen.